Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me, Galatians chapter 6. Or if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can find my notes on the events section and download them and follow along with me on the Version Bible app. If you're newer here at Faith, we put all of our messages online for free on our website, fccga.com, as well as on our podcast so that you can grow in your faith and listen to the word throughout the week and when you're at home. We've also started adding all of our Sunday experiences to YouTube, so you can go to YouTube, subscribe to that channel, and follow along with as well, because you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? So Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 was one of our foundational scriptures for the series. And what we do here every fall, we take time to teach on faith, family, and relationships. And so we call it Faith and Family in the Fall, and this year's Faith and Family in the Fall series is the House of Faith. So Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We said it's always our turn to do good, that we make a decision to do good no matter if the person before us did the right thing. So that means we always do good towards our spouse, to our children, towards our parents, to the, our fellow believers in Christ, not because what they did before preceded and required a good work, but because we make a choice to do good, and we always understand it's always our time to do good. Amen? One of the other foundational scriptures for the series is Hebrews 10, 38. The first part of the verse says, now the just shall live by faith. We are to live by faith. Faith is our lifestyle. It's not our get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not what we use at emergency. We just use our faith when I preach on faith. Faith is supposed to be how we live, as I use this example in the series. You know, just because you drank a kale smoothie once, went to the gym once last year, and ran a mile when you were a child, does not mean you're healthy. A healthy lifestyle is what you do consistently and continue. That's what a lifestyle is. To have a lifestyle of faith, that means you use your faith consistently and continually. Faith is our lifestyle. It's what we do every day. We need to live by faith on purpose and use our faith so much that it becomes a second nature as breathing. Jesus commanded us to have faith in God. It wasn't a divine suggestion. And he said, would you like to have faith in God? He says, have faith in God. Since we live by faith, faith is the foundation. Faith in God is the foundation for all of our decision making. So when we relate to our spouse, the foundation is faith in God. When we raise our kids, the foundation is still faith in God. When we have relate to all the other relationships in our life, the foundation is faith in God. When we go to work, it's faith in God. When you're, if you're d- single and you're dating, the still foundation is faith in God. We don't make decisions without our faith in God. And though the Bible tells us faith works or is fueled by love. And so love is part of the equation too. You can't start making decisions without considering the love of God and the love of God in operation in this situation. So this is our lifestyle. So say, we live by faith. We are building our family, our house, our church by faith and on faith. We are the house of faith, and we are better together because we are faith. We're all in for our family, for our church, for our community, and for what God has called us to do. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. With all that talk about faith, if I had a subtitle for today's message, it would be, faith is not enough. Faith is not enough. That's a big statement to say after all that faith talk I just did. That's a big statement to say when the church is called Faith Christian Center. It's a big talk to say when you grow up in the word of faith, believe in the word of faith, teach in the word of faith, known as faith people. When people come around us, they say, oh, these are faith people. One of the things that Pastor David and Sister Nikki said when they came to visit and preach last week, they said, this is so good being around faith people. You can tell this is a a faith church, people who believe the word of God and have faith in the word of God. We're known as faith people. That's how we should be known. But faith is not enough. Because Hebrews 6.12 says that you be not slothful. Don't be lazy. Look at one neighbor said, don't be lazy. Look at your other neighbor and says, you haven't eaten turkey yet. You don't have a reason to be lazy. 
but followers of them who through faith and what? Patience. Go ahead and say that Christian cuss word one more time. What? Patience. Inherit the promises. Faith without patience is not enough. You may be able to receive some small things without patience, but in order to receive from God, how many of you are believing for big things? Transformative things. That's going to take some patience. See, we live in a generation where we want everything right now. And it speeds up all the time when now is. So, you know, if you grew up with me in the millennial generation, we're used to CDs that came in the mail from AOL. You've got mail. Dialing up, connect. It took forever to connect. You can go make some coffee, make some tea, make a dinner, whatever, and by a couple hours, you'll have some mail on your mailbox. That's what we're used to. But now, let your page take longer than five seconds to load. We got a problem. You calling your carrier, hey, 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 I don't pay this money for my page to take less than five, to take more than five seconds to load. Why? Our expectation has increased. You know, I saw someone post a meme earlier this week. They just wanted to mess with their mother, so they took a picture of taking a frozen turkey and they put it in the microwave. And they took a picture and sent it to the mom. I was like, how long should I microwave this turkey? We all know you don't microwave the turkey. They knew they don't microwave the turkey, but they just wanted to mess with their mom. They said the mom didn't even text back. She called. Like, what are you doing? But we have a mentality where we think we want things quickly. We want to microwave some miracles. We want high-speed internet when it comes to miracles. But there are some miracles, some big things, some transformative things that takes time. And if it takes time, you need to be patient. Just through faith and patience inherit the promises. If there's one scripture more than anything, I remember Bishop telling us when we worked with him in Texas, he would say it all the time. He would say it to my wife. He would say it to me. When we're having lunch together, he would always say the scripture. Faith and patience inherits the promises. Faith and patience inherits the promises. Stay patient. Stay in faith. Good things are coming down the pipe because faith and patience inherits the promises. You need faith and patience. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. You need faith and patience in order to receive from God. Another word for patience is endurance. Endurance. How is your spiritual endurance? As I shared before, I'm a runner. Like running is one of the ways to try to stay healthy. And so in July, I had to take the whole month. We were waiting for Ellie to come, and so I didn't run for over a month. And whenever you take a long break from running or any type of exercise, it takes some time to build yourself up to where you used to be. And so even right before my break, I had only built myself up to maybe two miles, and then I had to take a break. And so when I came back to it, I didn't just say, well, today I'm going to run a 5K. Got a little bit more wisdom to that. So I started saying, I'm going to start at a mile. And every other day when I would run, every next day I would take it up just a little bit, maybe be .02 or, okay, one more block or .10. I'm building up. So then I got to the place where I was a couple weeks ago. I just ran four miles just because I could. What happened? I built my endurance. See, you don't just go out there and run a 10K just because you could. Even if you finish, you may be hurting. You haven't built your endurance. Endurance must be built. Say endurance, endurance. must be built. Now, one of the things about this word endurance in the Greek, it's not just endurance. It's not just patience. It's cheerful endurance. So if you're not cheerful while you wait, you're not really fulfilling the word of patience. See, it's not just patience with God and believing and receiving from him. It's also patience with people. God wants you to be patient with your spouse. See, y'all get really quiet on me. <laughs> See, you say, I'm being patient with my spouse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get your life together. Pastor said, be patient. I'm being patient. I'm watching you. Mm. Taking this long by now? That's not patience. Cheerful endurance. Can you be patient with a smile on your face? You may have controlled your tongue, but can you control your facial rea reactions? Does anyone, does anyone like me have strong facial reactions? Yeah, so we're all in the same boat. And so we have to be cautious of how we look. He's like, we, oh, Father, I've been walking with you a long time. I didn't say what I thought, but people knew what you thought because of your face. So we have to work even on our facial expressions. You know, you need practice before you go to the Thanksgiving table. When you sit next to uncle, get on your nerve and outrun our mouth. This is not your Thanksgiving to clap back. But it is your Thanksgiving to be patient. 
to smile, to forgive everybody of everything, and to smile. Oh, God bless you. You have to say my favorite, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Yeah. You're conscious of your face. Now, some of us, this is not our natural resting position. It's our natural resting position. You ain't upset. That's just how you're looking. You may be deep in thought. But in order when we walk with patience and relationships, we have to consider what we're projecting. Amen? I'm preaching to me just like I'm preaching to you. So I'm taking it. You guys can take it too. We have to be patient. Hebrews 10, 35, verse 38 says, cast not away your confidence. That word confidence means boldness, but also means bold, outright speech. So this also means your faith confession. The word just speaking in faith. Don't throw away your faith confession. Don't throw away your boldness, which has great recompense of reward. The word, phrase recompense of reward means payday. Your faith confession and your boldness has a payday. It's the old Pentecostal saying that God may not pay up every other Friday, but when he pays up, he pays up big. So don't throw away your faith confession, your boldness, because it has a payday. For you have need of patience. So the writer says you got the faith part down. You got the faith confession part down. You got the bonus down. But what you need is some patience. It's like what Peter was saying. He was saying you should add this to your faith. He had a list of things you should add to your faith. And one of those things to your faith, you need to add patience. Because if you add all these things, you get to a place where you never fall. For you have need of patience. You have need of cheerful endurance. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. See, some people, after they do everything they know they're supposed to do, and it doesn't happen immediately, they get upset with God. Well, I guess this faith stuff doesn't work. I did everything I was supposed to do. Well, after you do everything you're supposed to do, as Ephesians says, you stand. But how do I stand? Patiently. Especially if it's something big you're believing God for. You've done everything you're supposed to do. Keep doing what you're supposed to do and stay in patience. Say patience. Look at your neighbor and say, be patient. Look at your other neighbor and say, I know this message is for you. For yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So when we look at this phrase in context, why would someone back up? Why would someone back away? They lost their patience. So you may start out in faith, but if you don't add some patience to it, you won't be the person who lives by faith. You'll be the person who backed away from faith. And God says, I don't like, I'm not pleased in the lifestyle that backs away from faith. Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you want to please God with your lifestyle, you have to live in faith, but you also have to have some patience. See, Romans 15.5 calls our Heavenly Father the God of patience and consolation, or the God of patience and encouragement, or the God of patience and comfort. Galatians 5.22 and 23 tells us of the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruit is patience, or also known in the King James as long-suffering. See, that word in the Greek paints the picture of a candlestick with a very long wick. That when you light it, it takes a long time for it to melt down. How deep is your spiritual endurance? Just because it's lit, you're completely done? Or do you have some staying power? Luke 8.15 tells us that those who guard the word bring forth fruit or production of the word of God with patience. We know from that same parable in Mark 4 that if you receive the word of God with joy and with a shout, you get immediate production of that word in your life. But it says later, when affliction or persecution comes, that's pressure brought by circumstance and pressure brought by people. Because that person had no root in themselves. The production they have is withered away, burns away to the point there's no even recognition that you received the word in the first place. Why? That person didn't have any patience with their word. And because they didn't put it into practice, let it go down deep and be patient with it, when pressure came along, they lost all production of the word in the first place. Patience is supposed to be seen in the life of the believer. Without patience, you will not be able to receive every good thing from God. You won't be able to see the word bear fruit or produce in your life. And you will not be able to enjoy the fulfilling relationships God wants you to have. Patience is key. Say, patience is key. key. You must be patient with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, and with fellow believers. Because how many know that God is patient with you? Is anyone glad that God is patient with you? 
Has anyone just stopped one day and said, Father, I thank you. I've done it before. Father, thank you for being patient with me. I know I just messed that up. Yes, I repent, but thank you for being patient with me. If God is patient with you, shouldn't you be patient with others? So we forgive others as God forgives us. That's what Ephesians taught us to do. See, what if God forgave you like some of you forgive others? I'll forgive you, but I ain't going to forget. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to remind you every single day. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to look at you stink every moment of the day. Mm. What if God treated us that way? Aren't you glad he forgives and forgets? That's what we're supposed to mirror. Not just to random people we meet outside, but also to the people in your house and the house of faith. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Start with verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness, with all humility, and meekness. This is also translated in gentleness in other translations, but the word meekness here is emotions under control. So self-control as the fruit of the Spirit or temperance in the King James. It's talking about controlling your passions and controlling your body. Meekness is your emotions under control. Meekness is not weakness. Say meekness, meekness. is not weakness. not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is your personality under control. See, meekness paints the picture of a of a, like a fierce wild animal that's controlled. So you can have a strong personality. You can have strong feelings on this subject, but you don't let your feelings lead you. You have your feelings under control when you operate in meekness. Because remember, we're a tripart being. We are spirits. We have souls. We live in a body. Remember, you are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. You have emotions. Don't let your emotions have you. In order to walk in patience, you must be in control of your emotions. So with humility, with meekness, with long-suffering, with patience. So what is the apostle saying we're supposed to do with humility, with meekness, and with cheerful endurance, with patience? Forbear one another in love. What does that word forbear mean? Put up with each other. And not just put up with each other, put up with each other in love. You're supposed to put up with your spouse in love. You're supposed to put up with your kids in love. You're supposed to put up with people at church in love. Well, there's so many hypocrites here. Well, there's always room for another one. Because the word hypocrite means an actor. So you mean you've never come to church with a mask on? Expecting God to bless your mask when behind the mask is a mess? He said, but... They didn't smile at me the right way when I came to church. Well, maybe you were growling at them. Did you look in the mirror? Well, that person, they're just so super spiritual. Everything is a hallelujah, praise the Lord, and 35 scriptures. I can't see them closely. I just wave at them from across the parking lot. Be patient with them. Well, the person I'm sitting next to, their right guard went left. Be patient with them. That person, anytime I've seen them, it's going to be a million words in a minute. Be patient with them. Put up with them. Because somebody puts up with you. See, you aren't perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't perfect. Look at your other neighbor and say, you got issues. Find someone else and say, you got a whole subscription. You aren't perfect. You have issues. But somebody puts up with you, so shouldn't you put up with someone else? So put up with one another in love. So with all humility, all meekness, all long-suffering, put up with each other in love. Why? What is the main goal? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So what is the goal? Unity. I like what one of my friends, Matt Tarkin, he's a pastor of a church in Dallas, says. He says, we're about unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity, because unity doesn't mean everybody looks the same, believes the same, or acts the same. 
That's uniformity. See, when you're about unity, that's how you can have people from different sides of the political aisle come to the same church. Because we're not here because of politics, we're here because of Jesus. When you're not about political class or economic class or where you came from or your past or what you look like or how old you are, when your goal is Jesus, people from all walks of life can come together and operate as one in unity. So the whole goal he's saying here with humility, with meekness, with patience, with putting up their love is keeping us unified. Because we know from Psalms that unity is the place where God commands the blessing. Unity is a place where the anointing flows. We know where it's division and strife and envy that's every evil work. But we don't want the evil work. We don't want the work of the enemy. We want the blessing to work on our lives. We want the anointing to flow in our life, that power of God that removes burden and destroys yokes. We want that in our lives. So we're making a decision. We're going to do what it takes to walk in unity. The New Living Translation says it this way, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make allowance for each other's faults. When you walk closely with someone, you know their issues. Now, I'm not talking about these major issues. You just know the little ones because the little ones that get on your nerves the most. And you walk closely with them, you know how they operate at different times of the year. So if you're close enough you know, with them, you're like, well, in a, well, we're not believing this. In about 10 days, they're going to act a little different. So what do you do? You prepare yourself. I'm going to walk in love to them. I'm going to be extra generous. I'm going to be extra good. I'm going to be extra loving. Spouses, you have to do the same way. So especially if you're, both of your spouses work and you know certain times of the year are more stressful for your spouse, then you take consideration of that, saying they're going to be more stressed during this time. And so although they're trying to walk in love, the answers may be shorter than I would like it to be. So I'm going to make sure that I do good and show them extra love so that I can show them I make allowance for their faults. Now, you don't point out and say, see, I made allowance for your fault. See, you were nasty, but <laughs> Jesus didn't say bring it up and remind them. He just said to do good, to make allowance for each other's faults. See, the thing is, see, Jesus said it this way when he's preaching. See, if you do things so that people can see you, that's your reward. So if you're doing good for your spouse and pointing out just so your spouse knows you did good for them, there's your reward. You had to get back to motive. We do good because that's what we're supposed to do. We don't do good so, we're, so we can get into heaven. The blood of Jesus already took care of that. Once we believed or received, that took care of that. We don't get to get, do good to get God to like us. He already loves us madly. We do good because we're believers. This is what we're supposed to do. And so we do good towards everyone, especially those who are in the house of faith. So it goes on and says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, bind yourselves together with peace. Another translation says, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. Especially to those who may try your patience. Especially to those who may try your patience. You already know, some of you already imagined somebody when I said that verse. When I said that verse, someone appeared before your mind. So that word is for you. Demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards them. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. See, a lot of times when our patient and love walk is stretched, we are focused on the other person or the situation. We're focused on them. See, they're getting on my nerves. See, they're trying me. They, 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 they just tried. I just can't take it anymore. You're focused on them. You're focused on the situation, but you're not focused what God is doing on the inside of you when your patience is stretched. See, your patience needs to be stretched. See, oh, you're like, oh, great, Pastor. <laughs> Whoopee. Your patience needs to be stretched. Why? Well, go to James chapter 1. Your patience needs to be stretched. Your patience needs to be increased. James chapter 1. This is James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, they're not scattered abroad because they all want to go different places vacation. When you study the book of Acts, because uh, the book of James was one of the first epistles written in the New Testament, it's because they were scattered because of the persecution brought by Saul before he was saved. 
After Stephen was martyred, believers scattered from Jerusalem and went to different cities. You read that in the book of Acts, you see he's riding to the cities where they were scattered. So they didn't go there out of, oh, I want a vacation, I want a new start in life. They went there because of pressure brought by people, and they were escaping with their livelihoods. So he goes on and says, my brethren, count it all joy when he falls into diverse temptation or different types of pressure, different situations. Why can they count it joy while they're under intense pressure? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works or produces patience. When your faith is tried, when your faith is worked, patience is produced. So like, great, Pastor, I got patience now. But let patience have our perfect work or complete work that you may be complete and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. So when your faith is tried and patience is produced, if you keep letting your patience grow, even when your patience is stretched, when patience is done with you, you'll be whole. And you will lack nothing. God is always trying to lead you to a place where you lack nothing. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack. He leads me. Where is he leading you? To the place of no lack. But you must be patient. See, your patience needs to be stretched because as it is stretched, not only is it helping you love others, it enables you to receive miraculous provision and the production of the word of God in your life. I go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Ask before you do that, go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Notice one of these prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed. In verse 11, part of the prayer is praying that you'll be strengthened with all might according to its glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. That's double patience. That lets you know that the life of the believer is not when the going gets tough, we quit. Paul is praying that the believer receives every type of patience and endurance that they need so they can last the long haul. So this is a prayer you pray so you can increase in patience. That you're not going to quit just because the going got rough. You're not going to quit just because it seems a tough season. You're not going to quit just because you're annoyed. You're going to stick with it. The believer's life is not, oh, I'm tired, so I quit. This is not the belief system of the quitters. This is the belief system of those who are more than conquerors through him that love them. So we are to increase in all patience and all long-suffering, and we endure cheerfully with joyfulness, and we receive what we're believing for. Amen? Now go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 13. Some of y'all praying, Pastor, please stop talking about patience. Please stop about patience. I know I stepped on enough toes, got you exactly where I needed to. So now let's move on. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In context, Paul was teaching the church concerning their liberty in Christ and how they don't have to give in to false teachers who were teaching circumcision. Aren't you glad that circumcision is not part of this covenant? That at the end of our growth track for memberships, all right, you guys completed all the classes, now circumcision is in the next room. Thank you, Jesus. And so he's teaching them that, no, you don't have to listen to what they say. What they're teaching is wrong. You have liberty in Christ. But notice what Paul said about their liberty. He says to use it to serve others in love, not biting or devouring. Use your liberty to serve one another. So we talk about being patient with each other, but also... We are to serve one another. I like what this other translation says, but if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. A note on this translation says, both Aramaic and Greek manuscripts read biting and devouring, 
which is a metaphor for critical attitudes that would destroy the fellowship. Biting and devouring is a metaphor for critical attitudes that destroy the fellowship. These terms are often found in classical Greek literature to describe wild animals fighting each other in deadly conflict. Do you have a critical attitude that is destroying the fellowship or the partnership of your home? Is your critical attitude destroying your relationships? See, some people say, well, it's always somebody else. But if it's always everybody else, it probably is not everybody else. It's you. See, some people love to be victims. Well, they did this, they did this, but what did you do? Oh, that's not important. They did this, they did that. And so the critical towards everybody else. And that critical attitude can destroy your relationships and destroy the harmony of your home. Are you quick to love or are you quick to criticize? Are you quick to love or are you quick to criticize? Not just with the words of your mouth, but on the inside. One of the things I try to do when I walk in places and let's say inside I'm critical about something. I'm asking myself, why are you criticizing? Why are you critical? Is there any real reason to criticize what's going on? See, a lot of times we say, well, I didn't say it with my mouth, but internally you're criticizing. Internally you're judging. Judging unrighteously. Because Jesus said in context when he's talking about in the Gospels, if you judge unrighteously, judge not lest you be judged. Or in the same manner that you judge, that's how people will judge you. So if you're critical and judge unrighteously, that's the same way people are going to criticize and judge you. So you have to remember, your enemy is very legalistic. If you start, even, not just in your heart, but you go further and say with your mouth, well, I would never do that if I was in your situation. The enemy will make a cer- certain situation so you can do the exact same thing and be judged by the words of your own mouth. Why is it even important to say, well, I would never do that? Why do you even say that? Are you trying to make yourself feel good and put down the other person? That's unrighteous judgment. Judge not unrighteously unless you be judged the same way. Can your critical attitude destroy everything that you've been building? Yes, it can. Are you quick to love or are you quick to criticize? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42 through 45, after he called them to him and said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or your servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So in other words, don't abuse or misuse your authority in your position. If you have position and authority, use it to serve and to love. Husband and wives, you have authority and positions in your relationship and in your home. Use your position as a spouse to serve and love. Use your position as a spouse to serve and love. Don't use your position to criticize. Use your position to serve and love. Serve and love. Look for opportunities to be a blessing. Look for opportunities to do good. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't have the critical attitude, the critical spirit. Have one that's overflowing in love. Make a decision. I am going to do good. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. It says, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. The person that the single person has to focus on pleasing is Jesus. That is the main person that they're supposed to focus on. Especially if they don't have kids, the only person you're supposed to be focusing on is Jesus. I should hear some more single amens. See, the word please means to accommodate oneself to the opinions and the desires and interests of others to seek to be agreeable, and to strive to please. The word care theory means to look out for or to seek to promote one's interest. So Paul is saying that the single person needs to be focused on doing the work of God. So that means when there comes up an opportunity to volunteer to help out, single people, you should be some of the quickest people to sign up. That was, there were some people that was married amens because they want some more single people to serve. So let's try it again. Single people, because you're focused on pleasing Jesus, 
when stuff comes up to help out a volunteer, you should be some of the first ones to sign up and help. But notice Paul goes on. That was a weak amen, by the way. I just want to note that. But he that is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference also between a wife and the unmarried woman. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Remember, we said the word please means to accommodate oneself to the opinions and the desires and interests of others, to seek to be agreeable, and to strive to please. So he says, the husband, you are looking out and seeking to promote the interest of your wife. You're looking to accommodate yourself to the opinions, the desires, and the interest of your wife. You are seeking to be agreeable to your wife. You are working to please your wife. Then it says, wives, you are looking out and seeking to promote the interest of your husband. You are looking to accommodate yourself to the opinions and the desires and the interest of your husband. You are seeking to be agreeable to your husband. You are working to please your husband. You're supposed to use your position as a spouse to serve one another and seek to be agreeable to one another. See, it's not always the big things that destroy marriage. It's the small things because it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little annoying things. We all have little annoying things. Y'all look at me and say, Pastor, I'm not annoying. I have no idea what you're talking about. We all have things that are annoying that annoy our spouses if you're married. It doesn't mean those things are sins. It doesn't mean they're great evils and scourge on humanity. That's what it is. It's just little annoying things that you do. But since you're seeking to be agreeable and seeking to please your spouse, say, you know what, I'm going to work on my annoying habits to make myself agreeable to you. It's quiet in the house of faith today. That's what that means. You're seeking to be agreeable towards each other, to serve one another in love. See, the only competition that's supposed to exist between married couples is who can outlove the other. Because if you commit to outloving everybody, you commit to outloving your spouse, you both have a marriage you enjoy. Because you try to outlove that person, they say, Oh, I'm trying to outlove you. I'm going to try to outlove you. You guys are enjoying life. So use your position to serve. Use your position to seek to be agreeable to one another and to be a blessing to each other. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Let's go to the beginning of that chapter. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now Paul took six chapters to get them in line, as we said before. And chapter 7, he's responding to their questions. So it was a Q&A. They sent Paul these questions, and Paul is now answering their questions. So the first thing they sent was that it is not good for a man not to touch a woman. So they're trying to deal, because there's sexual, sexual immorality running through the church, and said, so, well, here's what we're going to do. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Now, that word does not mean high five. That word means to have sex and to live together. So obviously, because we see he's talking to single people in this chapter as well, that if you're not married, you're not supposed to be having sex and living together. Let me just try that one more again. Maybe some of you were, some of you were just deep in thought receiving from the Spirit. Let's try it one more time. So obviously, if you're not married, you're not supposed to be having sex and living together. See, Jesus did not send an updated edition for 2018 that says, oh, y'all can sleep together now. Well, pastor... We're saving money. So you get into sin to save money to open the door to the enemy who can steal your money. Anywho. So Paul is correcting their thinking. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication and avoid sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one or the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And when you're done fasting and praying, get it on. 
That same tempts you not for your lack of self-control. So Paul corrected their thinking and said, avoid sexual immorality. Let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. Within context, Paul is telling husbands and wives to meet the sexual need of their spouse. The sexual need is not dirty. It's not worldly. It's not carnal. It's not sinful. God made you a sexual being. And spouses, you have to understand, you're the only legitimate sexual relief and satisfaction in your spouse's life. So be faithful and make it good. See, the problem in the church, single people are having sex and the married people ain't. Married couples, God wants you to have a great sex life. He wants you to enjoy your sex life. See, I always get nervous and squirm when I say sex in church. <laughs> but see, your playlist on your phone has more explicit lyrics than that. So I thought about the first week, let me walk around, let's see what's in your phone. What songs are you listening to? See, I know they talk about it more explicitly than I do. God wants you, married couples, to have a great sex life. He wants you to enjoy your sex life. He never said in the Bible, well, you only can do this position. He didn't say that. Y'all have fun. I'm not going any further, so y'all don't call this message 50 Shades of Faith. <laughs> Be faithful and make it good. So, well, what is the advice for single people? Don't do it. And don't put yourself in a position where it's easy to fall. You know, as time gets later, gets later and later and later and later, you may have started thinking about Jesus in the first part of the morning. You may have prayed. You may have fasted. You may have read 10 chapters of the Bible, but I don't care how much you read. You get yourself in certain positions, in certain atmospheres, you'd be repentant in the morning. So what do you do? Don't put yourself in those positions. A lot of people come up with other extra rules and legalistic things that aren't scripture, but they're just guardrails. You should have your own guardrails. You should have your own boundaries in your relationship. Say, we're not doing this. Well, why? That's not sin. But no, this will lead to and possibly trip me up and I'll fall into it. And I value my purity more than I value stepping over this guardrail. So you have to set boundaries or guardrails for yourself so that you can live holy. Set yourself up to succeed, not to fail. Because if you're always listening to sex, 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 and always watching things that promote it, and you're single, you think, well, God, I don't know what's happening. Why can't I just keep my legs closed? Because what you're watching and what you're listening to. So if you want to live holy, watch what you're consuming. And don't put yourself in positions that you're going to fall. Well, yeah, I'm going to live holy. Okay. I got my boundaries. Yep, I'm going to the club. <laughs> What at the club is going to help you live holy? The alcohol? The weed? The people who hang around meth and all the other stuff? The uh, dancing or dry sex? Put yourself in a place to succeed. Don't put yourself in places where you will fall. Look out for your own victory. Give yourself your own guardrails. Now, well, Pastor, well, we've been in a relationship for a long time. We even have kids, and we're not married yet. What, what do we do? Come talk to me. Call my office, set an appointment, walk you through it. No judgment here. We'll help you get to where you're supposed to go. But you want to do it the right way. You want to do it God's way. And that's what we're here to do, help you do it God's way so that you can succeed and walk in the blessing of God and not step out of the blessing and become a target for the enemy. So go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let's begin to wrap this up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Thank you, sir. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Notice it says, let no corrupt communication Proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Or what is good to the use of building each other up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
Are your words building your family or tearing it down? Are your words giving access to the promises of God or opening the door to the enemy? You have to be watchful of what you say to each other. Because words do wound. But also you have to watch that what you're saying is not open the door for the enemy to do something. It was one of the conversations Pastor David and I were having when he was here. We're talking about how we're watching our words so we don't give the enemy permission to do nothing. Watch your mouth. There is a place for tough conversations in marriage and in relationships and family. But as Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love. There is a place for tough conversations. But it doesn't mean you always have to have it at the exact moment you're feeling it. If there's something you want to talk to your spouse about, married people, ask God first, should I bring it up to them right now? But pastor, I want to say, ask God first. If he says no, then don't bring it up. Well, I have to say, no, you don't. But if he says, don't bring it up, then you just say, Father, I turn it over to you. I believe you'll handle it. Because Jesus can handle things better than you can handle it. Because you turn it over to him and you don't bring it up because God says not to. And all of a sudden, your spouse changes and they never even go back to that whatever they did before. Then you're like, oh, well, man, maybe Jesus can actually work in my life. Because you had faith and patience. Now, if he says you can bring it up, then bring it up. Speak the truth in love. But also consider timing. Get the right timing to bring up certain situations. Now, we have a lot of football fans in this church. Not just the guys. We have a lot of ladies who love football. And we have some guys who don't care about football. And we have some ladies who don't care about football. But if you are married to a person that cares about football, don't bring up a conversation at halftime. That's not enough time for you to talk about what you want to talk about. Wait to the right time. Use the wisdom of God. And if you're both heated, doesn't mean you have to solve it right now. Make a decision. Well, we're going to do what we need to do to calm down, and we're going to both come back and talk about this at this time calmly. In the spirit of love, in meekness. Use the wisdom of God for timing. You, do, can, have, you, have, you can have tough conversations. Faith life does just cover up everything. You can have tough conversations, but you need to do it in the spirit of love. See, if you create an environment of affection in your home where love and peace and joy rule, it's easier to have tough conversations. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, if you're always fighting, any conversation will lead to a war. So there's certain conversations that are more sensitive. There's certain things you know in your spouse's life. Certain conversations like sex or finance are going to be more sensitive topics. Create the environment of affection. And then on a good day, not on a day you're already fighting, bring up those topics. Talk through those topics in a spirit of love. You want to create such a place of trust in your house that you're able to be vulnerable to your spouse and you're not concerned about them judging you for it. That's where God's bringing you to, a place of trust and absolute oneness. That you're operating as one person, unified. So make sure you watch your words. Speak words that build each other up. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, let us therefore follow, we looked at the scripture last week, follow or pursue after the things that make for peace and the things wherewith we may build each other up. Pursue the things that will build your family and your relationships, not the things that tear you down. As we said earlier, Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we know praising God as a sacrifice we as New Testament priests are called to offer. But it doesn't stop there. But to do good... And you communicate, forget not, that we communicate to a financially partner. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So yes, we know he's pleased when we praise him. But he's also pleased when we offer the sacrifices of doing good and financially partnering with the ministry. That is something that pleases God. So doing good pleases God. Do good to everyone, especially those in the house of faith and to your house. You're doing good as also a sacrifice to God that he is pleased with. Sacrifices that God is pleased with are always met with a response from heaven. 
Remember, when Elijah offered that sacrifice, fire fell down and consumed that sacrifice. When Solomon offered the sacrifice, fire fell and the glory cloud filled the house. When he offers sacrifices, God is pleased with God always sends a response. So don't even be concerned, well, did they notice the good thing I did? Just know your heavenly father never forgets a labor of love. He never forgets a seed sown. He sees you doing good. You keep at it in faith and patience, and God will reward your good works. So do good not so someone else can see you. Do good because your heavenly father wants you to do good. Now, there's certain things in your home that when it comes to reading your Bible, praying, yes, you should have your own private time. Yeah, you and your spouse can pray together, but also do it so your kids can see you. Why? Is it so your kids can say you're spiritual? No, so you can train them up in the way they should go. So there's certain things you do so people can copy you. There's certain things I do as a pastor I post and share online, not because I'm like, oh, look at us. We're so great. We're so amazing. I understand people copy us. People call us and say, hey, how'd you do that? Well, this is how we did it. Now, you go do it and make a blessing and make Jesus famous. There's people who copy us who like us. There's people who don't like us who copy us. I don't care. Why? Jesus is lifted up. The body is strengthened. We're in this together. We're better together. So examine your motive. Why do you share what you share? Why do you do what you do? There's some things you need to do in front of your kids so they can see the example as they grow up. But there's other things that, hey, I'm just keeping this between me and Jesus. And I'm making a decision to do good no matter what. Because this is something my Heavenly Father is pleased with. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Giving of thanks means grateful language to God. We know we use this scripture when we talk about praying for political officials and those in authority and those who have influence. But we also should pray for our spouses, pray for our family members, pray for the annoying people who may sit next to you at Thanksgiving. But also, just give thanks for them. Thank God for every member of your family. Because you prayed for your spouse one day. God gave them to you. So thank God for them. Well, my kids are getting my nerves. Well, you pray for them too. Thank God for them. See, gratitude and thanks and praise is an expression of your faith. So even if someone at your Thanksgiving table gets on your nerve, thank God for them. Because maybe you acting in faith, thanking God for who they are. God can move on their life and do what he needs to do. We should be known as grateful people who are always giving thanksgiving unto God. Thanksgiving should not just be a holiday, it should be our every day. So be grateful for what God has done in your life and in your family. And be expectant that the best is always yet to come. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.